just found out he got to go to jail for the rest of his life. But um, but um, I I mean, words can't express y'all crazy, y'all so crazy. Words can't express how much love I have for this cat, man. He has been um, um, a mentor to me um, in so many aspects. Um, when God called uh, my wife and I to move to Philly through the Macedonian callers, the branches, um, um, this group, we, we said we, I didn't want to just move to Philly, but I wanted these cats to like pour into me and my wife and, and, and for us to be able to be properly laced with kingdom truth in relation to church planning and leadership development. And we wanted hands to be laid on us, biblical hands laid on us, not the greasers with, you know, make us fall out and shake, but I'm talking about biblical hands laid on us to commission us, to commission us to the work of church planting in Philadelphia. And so, um, Bill Wellens, um, during our time, we, we got so intimate in our relationship that I gave him a street name. Um, his name is Welly Wells. And so, um, so that's his street name. That's his, that's his code name. So welcome. Just, he wants to share with us and we want him to share with us. Welcome to the stage uh, for, for the next little time. Uh, Pastor Bill Wellens, why don't you come? It is so great. It's such a privilege uh, for me to finally get to Philly and be here. And in fact, it brings back uh, uh, memories to me on a couple of fronts. Some are some childhood memories. My uh, dad was in the military, and I spent uh, three or four years growing up at Frankfurt Arsenal. I don't know if the Arsenal's still out there or not. I think it's turned into an industrial park or something. Went to Sullivan Elementary School. The only thing I remember about that was eating a bread pretzel every day. That's it, and I might get me one before I go home, too. The other thing that being here does for me, it, it just reminds me of uh, memories of early days in church planting. And I can tell you right now that your worship in this room this morning was so far ahead of our worship, it's not even funny. Our worship was horrible, and I just so enjoyed a time of worship earlier uh, today. But I want to tell you a story, and the theme of the story is real simple. It's just about the great God that Deuce has talked about. It's about the gracious God that you and I know. And I want to tell that story related to church planting because it's so encouraging. One principle to keep in front of you all the, all the time is this one. Church planting is not a project. It's a process, isn't it? Church planting is, is a journey of faith. Church planting is a unique opportunity to partner with the God of the universe and see what he can do. And that's what my story is about. So I want to just tell you a little story about church planting. My wife Carolyn and I, along with 15 other people 30 years ago, felt like God was calling us out just like you uh, to start a church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, so we met for eight months in a house, and we prayed together, and we read the scriptures, and we read books and stuff like that, and we were just trying to confirm that call of God. Is this what we should do or not? And I bet some of you feel that way. And we got to the end of that eight months, and I can still see us sitting in the dining room. We just kind of circled up in the dining room one night, and it was kind of the night you said, are you in or you out? Is this what God wants us to do or not? And 100% around the room, everybody's thumbs up. Yeah, God wants us to do this. So in August of 1977, we went public. 
And we met in a little private school in a gymnasium, not near as big as the one that you have upstairs here in this building. And in the first service, we might have had 30 adults. And we sat on metal chairs. We didn't have any money, so we traded work for rent. And we painted the building and we cut the grass and, and uh, all of that sort of thing in this, in this uh, new, new building. We'd set up every Sunday. We'd set up chairs. We'd set up the nursery and all that. But God showed up. He showed up and people started coming. And we were shocked. You know, our vision when we started the church was, gosh, maybe someday, someday, somehow, God might bring a couple hundred people into our church family. But God started this little church to grow. Well, we outgrew that school, so we moved to another school and another gymnasium. And it was a little bit bigger. It was bigger than the first one, about the size of the one upstairs. And I love being here this morning because we had no heat and air. And you see that fan over there? You're talking about that this morning. We had four of those, one on each corner, blowing air across the crowd. And we set up chairs and all that every Sunday. And that summer in Little Rock, Arkansas, for 21 days, it was over 100 degrees. That's what I said. Oh, my. And so every Sunday, you just were soaking wet. We even passed out hand fans to our people. But God is a great God and a gracious God. And you know what? We grew even in that facility. Then after that, uh, we, had to, we had to move. The school was doing some renovation and stuff, so we had to move again. So in 1983, we were able to purchase some land. We built a small building. We built it for the kids because we had so many children, so many families coming. So we built their building first. And we hauled the parents off to a theater. We moved to a movie theater. A mile and a half away, we use walkie-talkies to communicate back and forth. And you know what it's like in a theater. It's dark in a theater. And they just have those theater lights on, hanging on the walls on the side. So we had those on, but we had to get some television station spotlights. So you could see me, but I couldn't see you. The lights were so bright. And it kind of created a shadow on the screen behind me. It looked like Darth Vader, something like that. Long about this time during the day, we'd start smelling the popcorn they were making for the afternoon show. But God is a great God and a gracious God. And we kept growing anyway. In 1985, we were able to build our first worship center along with that children's building. And so for the first time in eight years, everybody was together at the same, at the same place. And when we got there, it was like God just exploded everything. Everything, just all of our ministries began exploding. He was so gracious to us. And so today we're a church of about 6,000 people coming every Sunday. Isn't that unbelievable? But what I want you to know is we never dreamed that. We didn't have everything figured out. We're not all these sharp guys that know how to do everything. That isn't who we are. Like I said, we dreamed of a couple of hundred people. But the numbers is not what I'm excited about. What I'm excited about is the stories of changed lives. What I'm excited about is the 
credibility that the favor of favor of God has given us on the street because our people have not just ministered to themselves, but they've gone out in the community and served the community. And God's given us a great reputation in our community, and I'm thankful for that. What I'm excited about is not just the proclamation of the gospel, but the incarnation of the gospel. People living it out, not just in here, but out there every single day of the week. And that's what's given us opportunities to share the good news. I love the name of your church. When Pastor E, I kind of like that. I always called him E Mace or Eric. But Pastor E, I kind of like that. I loved when uh, Eric was in the uh, residency program, and we have this project we do back in the early days of planting the church here. And it's about what's the name of your church and the kind of ministries you're going to have and, and who's going to be joining you, who your partners are, and kind of your philosophy of ministry and all that. And it was Eric's turn to share in our group, and he said, well, the name of our church is going to be Epiphany Fellowship. And I said, well, talk to me about that. I'm not familiar with Epiphany Fellowship. I hadn't heard that name before. So he started, about, started talking about the meaning of the word Epiphany and the whole idea of, of revealing the glory of Christ and the glory of God. And he quoted Titus chapter 2 and, and other places in the Scripture where God showed up and His glory shone all around. And he said... I want to have a church that's called Epiphany Fellowship because I want the people of that church to grow up and glorify the Christ that they know in every area of their lives. And that's where our heart is. Same place. That's what we want to do. We want to do the same thing that you guys want to do. Eight years ago, our church decided that we, would, we wanted to give away more intentionally Everything that God had given to us, and that's why we started the residency program, the church planting program. We just felt like God had given us a lot, and we needed to start giving that away to other, other men and women in ministry. And so we started the residency, and that's where Pastor E and I became such good friends. And, and today, God has graced us because He is a great God. He is a gracious God. And we have 27 churches from L.A. to Boston just like this one. It's a relational network. We're not a denomination. We're not, uh, I'm not, we're not a clone, and we're not cloning churches out there. Every church should be a unique work of God. But you guys are an important part of that network of churches. I am not here because I have to be here. I am here because I want to be here. It is a privilege for me to be here. And to see what God is doing in your midst. I've got one final thing if I've got time. You let me do that? You don't have a... Yeah, you can't say no. That's right. <laughs> 25 years ago when uh, we were starting our church, I was a lot younger then. <laughs> really. <laughs> Thank you for that. And uh, I had a mentor. His name was uh, Ray Stedman. And I didn't get to spend time with Ray... Uh, like Pastor E and I got to spend time, but he had written some books and things, and they had meant a great deal to our church. And he came to Arkansas, and my wife and I spent two hours with Dr. Stedman. Ray planted a church in Palo Alto, California, Peninsula Bible Church, in 1950. And really, 
is the pioneer before pioneer. He, he kind of he did so many neat things ministry-wise through his church long before we ever arrived on the scene. And I asked Ray that day at the end of two hours of meeting, I said, Ray, if you had one thing, one thing to tell a young pastor planting a brand new church in Little Rock, Arkansas, what would that one thing be? And, man, he he didn't hesitate two seconds. And this is what he said. He quoted Paul's words in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You know, all Ray said was keep on keeping on even when it's hard, right? He's just talking about perseverance and and, and persevering in doing good. And I have gone back to those words time after time after time over 30 years of my ministry because the work that you're doing is an exciting adventure, but it's a hard work, too. It's a challenging work. So I just want to say the same thing that Ray said to me 25 years ago. I want to encourage you you guys to do the very same thing. Don't give up. Keep on keeping on, even when it's hard. I believe that God has a harvest for you here in Philly. You don't have good leaders. You've got great leaders. I met Deuce at our conference down there, and, and uh, you, you don't have just average guys here. We don't have just an average group. We've got some great people here. If I won't embarrass you guys anymore, I want you, would you guys come over? Could I just pray for you guys? Do you mind? Come on up here. Let me do that. I can't hug you and hold the microphone. How do I do that? Hug you, hug me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these two brothers. Man, I thank you for their heart. I've been with them. And they have a heart that wants to be humble before you. They want to learn from you. They want to be more like Jesus Christ today and tomorrow than they were last year. And they have that heart for their people. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in Philadelphia. And that it would come right out of this building. Lord, I pray because you are a great and gracious God that you would give them this place. That ministry would go out of here. Life-changing ministry. I pray for these people, my brothers and sisters across the country. I'm so thankful for their lives. Lord, I pray that you would do things in the midst of this congregation, this group of people this year, that they never dreamed or imagined. That they would see you show up like I've seen you show up. And experience the great joy and privilege that it is to watch Jesus Christ do great things for his people. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You're welcome. Man, um, again, I'm just really, really thankful for um, Fellowship Little Rock. Um, they're one of the reasons, they're the one of the reasons why I'm able to stand here and why Pastor Deuce and I are able to even be here. So we'll always, always remember and never forget um, the times that um, 
that they that they gave us to pour into us. Um, my wife was poured into. Um, his wife's uh, discipled my wife, spent a lot of time with my wife. And so it just meant a lot for it just to be more than a, just about me as a leader in particular, but they also took good, loving care with my wife. Um, that fall, when my wife went through like eight surgeries, they just gave me like crazy time off and was just real loving. So it was a real caring and loving environment. One of the things that, that blew my mind about the environment that God had blessed them to produce is, is in an environment of team leadership, biblical eldership, and humility. I had access, we have access still, but during that period we had access to 45 elders, uh, qualified leaders. Um, not, not just people who said, I'm called to preach. We're talking about men who said, I'm called to shepherd. And so um, it's, it was exciting to be with a group of people who are not just passionate about being up the front on the squared circle, but are passionate about transmitting the gospel faithfully. So again, Bill, um, much love to you. Um, uh, we want to take a picture at the end, so don't move. We want to take a picture, so we need a digital camera. We want to take a picture of, of you all so that we can send it back and they can show it on Sunday morning to 6,000 people in four different locations and venues. And so um, they're gonna, we're going to give them a copy of the, uh, of the uh music video and a DVD, and they're going to show us. So just for them to be an encouragement and for them to be encouraged by the fruit that God has produced here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the truth of your word, Lord God. We thank you for the power of uh, you being the ultimate shepherd. And, Lord God, in being the ultimate shepherd, you um, appoint shepherds who are willing to not just not just want people to come kiss their ring or something, Lord God, um, because that's not, that's not what's on, on the pages for true shepherds, but, Lord, men who want to give their very lives to people. So, Lord God, thank you uh, for fellowship. Bless our time. Bless our time in the scriptures, the time that we have left. May the rule of Christ be realized in a new area that we may serve him in a brand spanking new way. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Y'all with me still? Y'all, y'all sure? Okay, I'll spend a little bit of time today. I I, I was going to go, I was actually going to go to chapter, chapter, from chapter 15 verses like, I don't know, 12 to like chapter 16 verse 4. Because that's kind of like a normal division. But, But the Lord kind of began pricking my heart during this time that it would have been a theological and biblical injustice to stop. So uh, to, to wait so long to stop. Lord, what are you going to do with six verses today? And I think these verses are very, very slept on verses. They can be easily glossed over. Um, they can be easily overlooked. Um, and so today I, I, I want to, it's going to be like a two-parter. Is that okay? It's going to be a two-parter. And, and, and I want to talk about today, I want to talk about Hateology 101. Hateology 101. Jesus begins, he's going to go into a philosophy of hate. I mean, it's crazy. Jesus is going to teach on hate. That's amazing. Like, most people think Christianity has nothing to say about hate. But he's going to talk a lot about hate. He's going to put it in context. But before he talks about hate, he does something powerful. Before you really understand hate, you have to understand love. And so what God wants us to kind of focus on today in this passage, based on the verses, um, not me just coming up with stuff, but in us going verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, to, to, to go through this passage and continue with Jesus Christ being unplugged, we want to talk about hateology and the philosophy of hateology in the scriptures. Um, 
good reasons to be hated on. We want to talk about good reasons to be hated on. And so in this passage, I want us to read it verses. Um, we'll read from verses 12 to 17. I'm reading out of the ESV. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love than this, that no one has than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you friends, I mean servants, but uh, f- uh, for, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give to you, give it to you. These things I've commanded you so that you will love one another. We've been going through what's called the upper room discourse. This is Jesus Christ. This is Jesus Christ's final teachings to his disciples. So they've already done their last communion. They, they, only, they already had their last meal together, uh, did communion together, and they were sitting up in the upper room. Christ has washed the feet of the disciples. And after he's washed the feet of the disciples, um, they, they, they took um, communion together. And after they took communion together, um, Jesus says, yo, let's, let's, uh, let, I'm going to tell you, it's a cat in the mix that's going to betray me. So Judas ended up uh, being the betrayer. The 11 was Christ dipped out of there. And as they were going out, it was nighttime. And so as they're going from the upper room, they probably had, like Bruce Wilkerson talks about, they had to pick up torches. And they had to all, one or several of them might have been carrying a torch um, to hold as they're walking out of the upper room where they've had a very intimate time of having their feet washed. And now they've gone out and, they, and they've gone from the upper room. Um, the end of 14 says, and chapter 15 says, Jesus begins to teach on a teaching. And last week we talked about um, the expectations of true disciples. And we saw that the Lord Jesus wanted to make sure that we have the proper nutrients that we have to give God the ultimate amount of glory. And so as he was talking about that, it was crazy. They probably walked down and they saw a, 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 a group of vines, and Jesus immediately started teaching on the relationship between the vine and the relationship between the branches. And so um, as we go on, Jesus takes it to a branch making new level, and he begins talking to his disciples, not just how you deal with him individually, because most of us like, because we're in an individualistic society, we like stuff catered towards us, we like stuff that point. we're a me-centered society, Um, Jesus says, look, I don't want you to just be me-centered in this thing, but now I'm going to tell you how to do this thing with a crew of people. Now, you're not just abiding in me by yourself as an individual, but you're abiding with me with a crew of cats. And so now in this section, Jesus begins to lace his disciples with the principle of how to properly abide in community in lieu of his departure. And so, and, so, and so right here in the passage, Jesus gives his first principle. But before we go into that, I want to give the definition of what he's going to talk about, because Jesus has been talking a lot about this in this passage. Jesus says, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. You and I will keep his commandments. So let's give a working definition of love before we go into this, because a lot of people may assume what love is. And so I want us to look at this real quick. Let's just look at Webster's and then we'll look at the biblical understanding. Types of love in Webster's. A strong affection for another one arising out of kinship, personal ties, attraction 
based on sexual desire, affection and tenderness felt by lovers, affection based on admiration, um, benevolence and common interests, assurance of love given to others. Not only that, um, warm attachment, enthusiasm, a, 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 um, a devotion. The uh, ob- uh, object of a- attachment, devotion, or admiration, like baseball love, it, it says. Um, a-, a beloved person, uh, darling, often used use as a term of endearment. British, they call each other lovey sometimes. So they got that one up in there. But then they have up in there unselfish, unselfish loyal, and um, uh, benevolent concern for the good of another. But then, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a litany of a whole bunch of other ones. Brotherly concern, person's adoration for God, God or personification of God. Uh, in other words, whatever you believe God is, that, that's what love is. But then um, in the Bible, the Bible describes love as a choice. A choice. A choice as a, see, most of us believe in that love at first sight. And so we'll say, I saw her across the room and I looked at her. And man, I just knew I loved her. Some of us will say, man, I'm, I'm in love like a mug, man, I'm telling you. I'm smitten, you know what I'm saying? I want shawty, shawty, you know what I'm saying? And so we, we base it on some things like, what you like about Well, man, I'm telling you, she fine, though. Um, she does this for me, or he does that for me. Oh, he's so sweet. I mean, the other day he started, I mean, it's based on something. But biblical love, biblical love isn't, isn't based on anything but the person who is giving the love, making a conscious decision that they're going to love that person. Choice. Not only that, it's a call. It's a call. Because Jesus Christ talked about in our form passage, he says, he says that God called him to love us in a particular way that we're going to talk about today. But then not only that, it's a command. Because the command that the Father gave Jesus was to love. And the command that Jesus is going to give us today is going to be very much the same. So in a nutshell, love is the unconditional choice to faithfully. Let me stop there. Faithfully. It tripped me out when people say, I don't love her no more. Well, you didn't love him in the first place. Because biblical love doesn't say, I don't love anymore. Biblical love stands faithful. So love doesn't like be- uh, end. It may begin, but it biblically doesn't end. If it's true love. If it's the choice-based agape that God talks about in the scriptures, are y'all with me? uh, Commit um, one's affection. So it's not this love that's separate from even passions. It it does involve passions, but the passion passion follows the decision. That's key, y'all. The passion follows the decision. I'm just laying the foundation. You got to stay with me, fam. And so not only that, but it does something. It, 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 It serves and also gives one's life to someone. And so, in other words, love in a nutshell is a choice to faithfully commit one's affections, service, and life to someone. So, hateology principle one. Y'all ready? Hateology principle number one. Jesus' love towards, uh, for us must be reciprocated towards other disciples. Real simple. This is going to be, it's going to be, like, it's going to be, embar- this message is going to be embarrassingly simple. Jesus' love for us must be reciprocated towards other disciples. Jesus says in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus says, listen, one of the last ditch things that I'm going to leave you with is I want you to commit yourself 
to one another. He's talking to the disciples. Commit yourself to one another just as I have committed myself to you. Choose to love one another just as I've chose to love you. Since the calling to love one another just as I have been called to love you. And be obedient to the command to love one another just as I was obedient to the command of the Father to love you. Reciprocate that. Now, I'm going to come back to that word reciprocate because I think we got some faulty understandings of love that we need to jump over those hurdles in order that we can understand a biblical understanding of love. So love is supposed to be reciprocated. So the way Jesus loved, we go to Jesus, we look at him, and we take our P's and Q's from the way he loved. And we'll talk about in a minute how he loved his disciples. We can't talk about all the ways, but we'll talk about a few ways. How he actually loved them and how that's practically lived out in community. This is real important. Not only that, not only, not only that, but also our love for one another sums up all of Christ's orders. Look at, look at the next part. He says, no greater, uh, greater love than this, that no, uh, uh, than this, that someone lays out his life for a friend. But look back at the A part of verse 12. He says, this is my commandment. Stop there. Notice that before that, he says, he says in verse 10, he says, Keep my commandments, plural. Then he goes in and he says, I have kept my father's commandments, plural. But now he comes to verse 12 and he says, this is my commandment, singular. Real important. <laughs> See, Jesus Christ is doing something that we all need to really remember. And it's a, it is a sweet principle that I think Christians have to remember. Just, Jesus was in, a, is in, was in an argument with a group of people who were saying, okay, how do you fulfill the law? And Jesus says, well... Jesus says, well, first off, the way you, the way you fulfill the law is, first off, you gotta understand that the Lord, our God, is one. That means there's only one that we're committed to. No, and, and within that, he says, you must, you must, uh, love the Lord your God with all your mind and with all your heart and with all your strength. Then Jesus does something that he wasn't looking for him to do. He did something powerful. Jesus says this. Jesus says, and the second one is the same. But if you go to Deuteronomy 6 that Jesus was quoting, all of this is going somewhere. Y'all gotta stay with it, brother. If you go back to Deuteronomy 6, 5, you don't see love your neighbor as yourself in there. Love your neighbor as yourself is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. So Jesus says, look, it's easy for you to say you love God. But you have to marry that to loving your neighbor as yourself. Powerful. Now, Jesus does this because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they prided themselves on a on a quote unquote personal relationship with God through the law and that's all the so they had a love affair with the scriptures and they had a love affair with their own self-righteousness and so they said we love God but Jesus says listen let me put a comma behind this he says the second one is the same and I guess they're probably standing there like Jesus what what you mean second one is the same he says love your neighbor as yourself he says and in these the law and the prophets hang He says, listen, if you don't love God with everything and your neighbor with everything, you don't love God. Jesus says this, 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 um, this right here sums up, um, the Old Testament law. But then stay with me in Matthew chapter five, verse 17. He said, Jesus says, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to what? Fulfill the law. And so the question is. The question always is, is, is for us to think through is how in the world does Jesus call us to fulfill the law? 
Well, Paul talks about a principle called the law of Christ. Say the law of Christ. Real important principle. Over in, Matthew, over in um, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Stay with me. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Jesus says it right here. He says, he says it. He says, this is my commandment summed up. This is not just the law of Moses, but now, see, under the law of Moses, of course, you were to love God and your neighbor, but under the law of Christ, you're to love Christ and your community of faith. Now, check this out. This is bananas what he talks about. He says that, and this is the law of Christ, that you and I, all of us, love one another, uh, that, that, that you love one another as Christ has loved us. And so Jesus Christ capsulizes this, and this became a big piece of the early church. When you talked about the law of Christ among the early church, they didn't just say, well, I love God. You know, most of the time when we talk about people, we say, oh, is he on point? Oh, he really loves the Lord, or she really loves the Lord. But that's not the law of Christ. The law of Christ is do you love God? He didn't ask you, did you do your devotion time? Now, that's important, but that's not the law of Christ. Studying the scriptures doesn't by itself fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is a horizontal and vertical relationship through the cross of Jesus Christ by which we draw off the love of the Father revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and given to other people. That's real important. And so the, the first thing we have to understand, again, is our, uh, we, that Christ summed up our marching orders um, in that one statement, in the command for us to love God, because that's what he talked about from verses 1 to 11. Now he's talking about our love for one another. Stick with me, fam. Hateology principle number two. Our love for one another must be mutual rather than one way. Let's park here. Let's park here. This is an important principle because most of us, Jesus says one another. That's a key word. See, most of us, see, most of us look at love as a one-way street. I'm not being loved. Nobody's this. I need this. I want. I want. But there's never any mutuality. See, biblical love is not just the willingness to receive love from others, but that means getting in the mix with others to give love to others. But see, but see, we only judge. We only judge based on people's love of us. But we never judge ourselves to see if we actually are loving somebody else. An important principle. All the way through the New Testament, I couldn't even write all of the one another statements up on the board, but I'm putting some of them in. But the key word, of course, in the passage is one another. Now check this out. This is the way our love is. One way street. One way street. Like, like our love is, is mostly not us giving. It's very few. And I'm not talking about people that go through seasons of the inability to love people, um, love people practically. However, it's no excuse. And we'll talk about that in a minute, too. But a one-way street, this is important. Many of us, that's how our love is. But there's a, there's a, there's a sin in the body of Christ. And I believe even, especially in new churches, but most churches will tell you there is a sin of neediness. That's going on. A sin of needy. It got real quiet when I said that. But there's a sin of neediness. This is how you know whether or not you're needy. If you're self-focused. 
if when you bring up something around the community of faith and it always has to do with you and never what you can give to someone else, you're self-focused. Uncommitted to others. No one can nail you down and say that you're committed to anybody in the kingdom but yourself. Love one another. This is important. Much love in the statement. Greedy. Never satisfied with people meeting your needs. Wanting more. I need somebody to meet my needs. I need more. I need somebody to meet my needs. More. I need somebody. And there's no one another in your Christianity. Stay with me. Then he says, and never satisfied. Same thing. Double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. You know, you know, and this, ah, you know that you're needy when, in an unbiblical way, when one minute you want to be around people of God, one minute you don't. One minute you want to go to this church, one minute you want to go to that group of people. One minute you, you want to be with this person, next minute, needy. One minute you want to hang with this group of people, the next minute you want to hang. Because, when, because what happens with the needy person is they go into a community or, or individual or person and they suck the life out of that person. When that person... When they suck the life out of that person and that person has no more energy to commit to the one another's because it wasn't mutual, it was one way, they say they're no longer being loved anymore. And so what happens is, is they say, well, I need to go find somebody who will love me. There he is. I'll then go to this. Man, I'm telling you, man, Brother Smith, get on my nerves. And boom, 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 boom. Then all of a sudden, you begin to leeching on this one. Then, then you begin to develop a reputation of just being all over the place. Stingy with the love of Christ. Stingy with the love of Christ. Never giving the love of Christ to anyone. All of the above are rooted in pride. Neediness and stingy, like a lot, a lot of times, needy people, is, they fool you because they come off humble. Because they, they, they seem to humble themselves to want from others. But, but that's not what it is. They're really... Looking like they're humble, but their pride wants them to be focused on so much. And so they want to sponge and, and, and extract everything they can from everybody in the community of faith, but never pouring anything into it. And so this is very important in our context um, because we're in a depressed area. But not only that, um, many of us are used to the me mentality. We go to a church or a community of faith based on what it can do for us. And so love is not a choice, a calling, a command. It's what can consistently take care of me. And what we have to do as a new church is, 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 is that we have to begin to be able to have one another's going, mutual love going on, rather than, rather than one-way street love going on. Because what's going to happen, and a lot of church plants die because of this, because people come in, which we want to take care This is not our way of pushing people away to take care of needs. But there's a difference. There's some point when your needs get met, you should be meeting someone else's needs. But this is what true love is. It doesn't go from a one-way street. It's not just a one-way street. It's two-way traffic. It's two-way traffic. It's, two, it's a two-way street. Okay? The one another. These are some ways in which it looks like. Being devoted to one another. Giving preference to one another, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Being of the same mind towards one another. This is fulfilling the command of Christ. Love one another. Again, make for peace and the building up of one another accepting one another, admonish one another, 
bear one another's burdens, not bear your burdens. But we bear each other's burdens. This is so simple, but it's so many times in our, in our community face, they're missing. Showing tolerance for one another. In other words, putting up with one another. And if many of us admit it, we need to be put up with. Like, we always got to point the finger at somebody else. Like, they need, like, uh uh-oh. But we never realized that, like, we got issues, too, that people got to put up with. And so that's the importance of the love of Christ, being kind to one another. We talked about these a few weeks ago, but I still had to say them again, because you can always hear these. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, you should be giving one another. Sometimes you should hand somebody a mixtape, a kingdom mixtape. Where you, can, where you can lace them with it so that they can be admonished with songs that are laced with the nutrients of the kingdom, but don't infringe on no copyright laws. All right. Be subject to one another. That means submit to one another. That means if, you, if you're loving based on the biblical love of Christ, that means that, you, that, that you're willing to be subject to one another. That word there, subject, it goes back to Ephesians chapter f- uh, f- uh, 5, uh, verse 21. And that word subject is the Greek word hupokatasso, which means fall in line with your role within the kingdom of Christ. So what we're supposed to do in relationship with one another, y'all, is what we're supposed to do is when we're in accountable relationships, and we're going to flesh this out some more, is some of, we need to submit to the advice. Listen, you, one thing that can frustrate someone quickly is if you always come to them for advice, but you never take it. Like, I don't know if, if that's frustrating to anybody else. But, like, if you keep coming to us of one another's without it, not taking the advice, you're not teachable, but you always want to come and just bear your soul but never want to repent, uh, you, want, uh, you want a metanoia, change your direction, change your mind, then, then that's a bad thing. i got to move on because we can talk about that all day. Regard one another. Regard one another. Regard. Bearing with one another, again, it says it again, comfort one another. We're going to talk about that. Comforting one another. Comforting one another encouraging one another. They're all over the place. Be devoted to one another. Give preference to one another. I must have put these twice. All right. Live at peace with one another. I think I I should be passing these. Okay, there we go. Pray for one another. Fervently love one another. Um, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. Wow. So most of us look at our gifts in relation, because Jesus, remember just Jesus says, love one another just as I've loved you. Most of us see our gifts for, like, I really want to get my sweet spot so that I can go make a lot of money, which is nothing wrong with, you know, making some loot. However, the focus of the gifting that God has given every believer and talent that he's given every believer is not for the purpose of you exploding on the scene and getting your 15 minutes of fame. But the purpose of it is to employ it. That's a, that's a, like a work language, like clock in clock out language so he says employ it in serving one another serving one, so that's the first tier of the process of fulfilling the love of christ clothe yourselves with humility humility towards number one another hateology hateology principle hateology principle number number three jesus's love for us um most vitally is most vitally expressed through jesus christ's death on the cross Right here in the text, it says, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. No greater love than this, that, you, we, uh, that someone lays down their life 
for their friend. Well, this is interesting because Jesus back over in uh, John, uh, John 13 verses 1 through 20, as he was washing the disciples feet, he says he wants them to to follow his example of washing him washing their feet by serving by washing one another's feet. And so giving their lives for one another. Jesus Christ talks to the disciples because Jesus Christ the next day is going to give his life for the disciples and for all disciples of all time. And so Jesus says, there is no greater love than this. He said, the extent of your love must go beyond lip service and it must go to actual practice. He says, the love must be so intense that you have to be willing to lay down your life for the person you say you love. Now, but there is everything in between when you say you love them and your death form, that there are two things that I think are key in relation to our love of, 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 of that. And that's sacrifice, that's sacrificial love, and preferential love. Sacrificial love and preferential love. That means we, not just one person, not just one group of people, go out of their way, but Christians mutually are supposed to go out of their way to sacrificially love one another when they're not even feeling like it. And it doesn't count when everything's cool. It actually counts more when you're actually in a situation where you don't feel like it and your flesh is inflamed with frustration with serving, that you're willing to still serve one another even in the midst of your frustration with the timing, um, your frustration with the resources it might expend, your frustration. Because, listen, if you were in the same position, you would want somebody to do that for you. That don't mean you go to them. Now, you know it's 11.30. You know, I'm in the bed by 9.30. Um, and, I, you know, I only, had, I only had $20 left in my account. So the soup I'm bringing over for you sick, that was $5. So I only, got, I only got $15 to help me out for the rest of the month. But I'm serving you. Now, that, that, you just lost all t- This stuff went in, up in flames right while you were talking. Up in the kitchen, burnt up just immediately. And so, and so love, has to be, love has to be sacrificial. You have to go beyond the mediocre in loving one another. Remember this. This is a two-way street, not a one-way street. That means you have to rig your lives to love one another. You have to rig, we have to rig our lives in such a way where we're not out of touch from being loved and we're not out of touch with giving love. Because if, 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 if you're not in some way synchronized in your life and uh, us synchronized in our lives where we can chop it up with one another and it, it, and it always is mad obstacles to us loving one another, then it's going to make it real, real hard for us to do that. But then he says give preference. Now, the, the, the word here is a, is a, is a beautiful word. It means, actually, it means to take initiative or to lead out with. I like that word because... It points us to, it says, the Bible says, give preference to one another in love. That's what it says in Romans 12.10. Romans 12.10 is teaching us, it doesn't just mean just honor one another. It means lead out in it. One of the things we learned in the residency program, one of the big, the thing I take away from from fellowship is we were always told a, a definition of leadership is the willingness to take initiative for the benefit of others. Leadership is the willingness. That don't mean you got to be up front, but you took initiative. That doesn't mean you necessarily got credit, but you were the one that sparked it or took initiative. That's the sense of this word preferential. The word preferential means you don't wait to be loved. You love before you're loved. 
See, many of us say, now, if you love me, I love you. If you give to me, if you give, I give to you. If I give, if, no, that's not biblical love. Biblical love says, even if at this point you don't do it, because the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ on the cross did not wait for us to get it right, or he would have never died on the cross, and there would have been no need for him to die on the cross. But in giving preference to us, what Jesus did is say, I'm going to take the kingdom initiative to love you and to give you a snapshot. And, and, I, and I'm blown away because many of us, we just don't know how to do it. And so what we have to do is many of us who know how to love properly, and most of us do, is, is to be able to take the initiative in, in loving our brother. That means you need to call somebody outside of waiting to be called. That means you need to call the people to go out and hook up, whatever it is, instead of waiting for someone else to take the lead at it. That's biblically us. That's, that's the, Jesus is saying, this is what makes a disciple a disciple. If, if, he says, if, he says, if you, he said, you're not a disciple, you're not going to take initiative. But remember, we're in the context of Jesus talking about signs of abiding, bearing fruit, and what it looks like to be a disciple in relation to abiding, bearing fruit, and the signs of it. And one of those signs is the willingness to take initiative for the benefit of others. I got to move. Y'all still tracking with me? Hateology principle number four. Jesus' love causes us to know the what and the why. I love that. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master <coughs> what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Uh, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is dope. Jesus, in this verse... Shows them that I'm, I, I'm not just showing you the what, but the why. Let me explain that. A servant, a servant in Jesus' day, a servant that has a master would do this. A master would say, here's the command, and the servant would do it. I need you to go do this for me. The servant would do it. I need you to clean up for me. The servant would do it. I need you to go get me this. The servant would do it. I need you to make sure the clothes. The servant would do it. The servant was in a relationship with the master where the servant couldn't ask the master any type of questions, the servant had to respond to the master without, without any intimate interaction. The, the, the master and the servant relationship wasn't necessarily an intimate relationship, but it's a relationship where the servant is supposed to obey whether him and the master or he and she and the master have a relationship with the master or not. You're called to obey. But Jesus flips the script on this one, and it's beautiful, and it's very, very applicable to us. He, he does something different. He says, I don't just, I'm not just calling you servant. So most people read this passage and say, I'm no longer a servant. If that's the case, why did Peter, why did John, why did James all call themselves doulasses? Uh, um, and so they, they, there is still a sense of servitude. Why would Jesus say the greatest among you should serve? Um, Jesus says, employ, um, and Peter says, employ your gifts by serving one another. Jesus washed their feet so that they would have an example of what it looks like to serve one another. So he's not saying he's, they're no longer servants. What he's saying is, is you've graduated from just being servants. You've graduated from just being servants, even though you're still a servant, but your servant is influenced by a relationship. I call you friends. 
So what Jesus says is, I tell you the what of the command. This is important. I tell you the command, love one another. But then I tell you the why. And Jesus goes through. He says, because no greater love than this, that someone that gives their life to a friend. Over in Matthew 13, or Matthew 12, Jesus says, they ask Jesus, they say, why do you speak it with us? In, uh, why do you speak to them in parables? He said, because to them, I speak to them in parables. But to you, it is given the ability to know the mysteries of the kingdom. In other words, a person in Jesus. Jesus' mind, that's a friend, is one that he's done this. He says, this is why I'm calling you friends, uh, 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 so that you won't, uh, um, this is not to get bucked out over this. He says, I'm calling you friends because you have heard everything that I've heard from my father. He says, so the way I had intimacy with my father is now the intimacy that I want to have with you, and not only that, it's the intimacy that the believers are supposed to have with one another. And so we as believers don't just come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and him hammering away at the what. Because a lot of times Christianity can feel like a bunch of rules and regulations. Even in our conveying and holding one another accountable sometimes, we can just convey the rule and regulation of the law without Christ. And so what happens is within our relationships, because Jesus in the context is talking about the revelation that he shared with his disciples. He says, listen, when even and I want in reflecting this, just as I've done this for you, do this for others, do this for one another. He says, he says, this is the type of intimacy that Christian community is supposed to have. We are supposed to take joy in the revelation that we've got from God through Jesus Christ, share that together, take joy in it and not just hit it one another with the book and the hardness of the letter but also live in light of a biblical christian life with them real important stuff real important stuff but then we go further we go further hitology principle number five our love for jesus is fulfilled when we are on mission in community making authentic disciples <clears throat> our love for jesus is fulfilled when we are on mission in community, making disciples, I underline that for a reason. Let's look at the text. It's right there in the book. Verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go. This is powerful. Jesus, before they get excited that they're friends of the Messianic king, he says, now, now let me tell you something. Your obedience, your obedience to me is, 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 is not the reason why I chose you. I didn't like look and see that you were going to be obedient and then I chose you. No, I'm call, I, I chose you because of me. And so the reason why I'm doing this, it flows, this obedience flows out of the love that I've given to you first, not you giving the love to me first and then I love you. So he said, first off, this is real important. He says, I chose you. And he, then he said, I appointed you. So, the, so the, this, is, this is what we're supposed to know as believers. All authentic, we bear fruit through this. We bear fruit through having clarity of pur purpose, having clarity of purpose, because he says, I chose you and appointed you too. So that means Jesus is calling us to mission has purpose. It's not just us saying we want to walk in our calling. Like, and I know that us having calling and having clarity of direction and vocation is real, real important. But one of the things that we have to remember that the clarity of purpose that the Lord Jesus Christ gives in the scriptures is based on something in particular, not just a dream we had. See, most people are used to dreaming something up, taking it in prayer before God and asking God to join them in their dream. 
Whereas Jesus does this. Jesus says, I chose you. I'm doing the dreaming. You can dream within the dream that I've already dreamed and envisioned, but I ain't doing nothing outside of this dream. All right? So he says, listen. He says, I have chosen you and appointed you that you may bear fruit. Dang. What did we say bearing fruit meant last week? We said bearing fruit means to look like, the, to, to, um, to show evidence that you're actually a disciple. But now it switches a little bit because it's not talking about individuals. Now it goes into a community of people. He says that you may go and bear fruit. That's key. That word go is just like the word go used in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Go is missionary language. And so God isn't blessing our mere personal dreams. He's blessing, listen, a community of people who link up together based on his mission to bear fruit. What's the fruit now? The first fruit in the earlier part of the passage is us making sure, looking like disciples through us bearing the reality of the nutrients of the faith. Now, Jesus says that you are, he, now he's not talking about you individual, now he's talking about you as a group. This is the way, this is what I've chosen you and appointed you for. I have chosen and appointed you all to go on mission together and make disciples. Now that sounds so Un- inexplicably simple, but Jesus' dream, the thing that Jesus is looking at is he wants us to bear fruit in community. That means that we have to go together and share our faith. That means we're a community called to proclaim the gospel together, not just sporadic individuals, we, we, even though we're supposed to do that. But the text says that I appointed a group of cats for the specific purpose of being a community that proclaims the gospel through both life and lips. And this is what I'm blessing. I'm blessing you going together. And I'm blessing as you go together that you'd bear fruit of people coming into that community. Now check out what Jesus does, and he takes it even further. He says that you may bear fruit (coughs) together. Amen. And then he says, and that your fruit shall remain. Wow. Jesus has called us to not merely bear fruit in making believers and getting excited about false professions of faith. But what he called us to as a community is to bear fruit through us as a community discipling people, not just to get our needs met, even though that's a part of it. But Jesus isn't blessing us doing our own thing and dreaming up personal visions. But what he is blessing is within the construct of his dream and vision, us bearing fruit through proclaiming the gospel together, people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and them being seen as authentic disciples, not just somebody who flooded the altar, but people who we walk with, with both life and lips, Pour into them the commandment that we were talking about in the beginning, that you love God and your neighbor, and they go reproduce it, and that your fruit will bear fruit. That's what he's blessing. Real simple stuff, but we have to keep that vision real high. No matter whether we get a building, whether we're on the street with chairs out in a tent, 
no matter if we're meeting back in cribs, no matter if we do an outreach with, with a bunch of popular hip-hop rappers, no matter what, no matter what we do, if it's not producing this, we're not on the same page as Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. He says, you should, re, you should have a love language. I talk about love languages in premarital counseling. And I talk about ways in which you receive love. Um, you know, there's, there's touch. There's, there's, there's um, words of encouragement, gifts of giving, um, quality time. I forgot the other one. Acts of service. Y'all so deep. Acts of service. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. And so those, we say, listen, lo- you got to love the person. You can't just try to love them like you like to receive love, but you got to love them based on the way they receive love so they can say that they actually are being loved practically. This is Jesus' love language. Jesus' love, love language is together. Us as the community of faith making disciples together, people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So now, what are his purpose, of the purpose of authentic disciples bearing fruit? Having clarity of purpose, proclaiming the gospel together, and care for new disciples together. When you go through the book of Acts and you look at the ministry of uh, Paul and Barnabas, you're going to see something beautiful. Paul and Barnabas would have had shared the faith with a bunch of people. And what they would do is they say, yo, man, know what we need to do? We need to go back to everywhere that the people trusted Jesus at. And let's go back there and let's encourage them in their faith. And, and then you look over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, something powerful he says. He says, the reason why I sent Timothy to you, the same passage that the Pastor Deuce is reading, he says, about, I think about five times, to check on your faith. In other words, your faith, in other words, to see if you're persevering in relationship with others to bear the fruit of Jesus' calling to see the gospel proclaimed and new believers cared for and disciple from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. That's what we're called to do. Now, hateology principle six, and I'm closing on this one, and I'm out of your way. Our love for Jesus is fulfilled when our prayers authentically reflect Christ's love towards others in community. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. Our love for Jesus is fulfilled when prayers authentically uh, uh, reflect Christ's love towards others in community. Check this out. Jesus says, verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Then he said, so, he said, the purpose, listen, when you see so that, that's a purpose clause, meaning the purpose I'm giving you this is for this very reason. The, the purpose of having purpose, the purpose of proclaiming the gospel together, and the purpose I'm telling you that you bear fruit through the fruit remaining, in other words, caring for new believers and them growing from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, is that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, there's an implication here. If you are not proclaiming the gospel with people, if you are not making disciples, and if you aren't clear on the purpose that we were chosen based on those two things, God begins to shut down heaven from your prayers being answered. If we're not properly proclaiming the gospel. There's several times in the Bible where God shuts down prayer. He shuts down prayer because of, because of unconfessed sin. Number two, he shuts down prayer because of the husband not loving his wife in an understanding way, 1 Peter 3, 7. But he also shuts down heaven and causes prayers to be hindered when we're not making disciples and proclaiming the gospel. 
Because nine times out of ten, most of what we pray doesn't have anything to do about making disciples and proclaiming the gospel with people. But it has to do with us doing something in particular on our own. And so God says, listen, I am blessing you in prayer when you reflect bearing fruit of caring for new believers and proclaiming the gospel with my people. He said, that's what I'm blessing. And see, so, so he answers the prayers of those who, this is unhealthy things, that isolates themselves. The Bible says, if someone isolates themselves, if he who isolates himself, I got to hear, let me read it. Proverbs, Proverbs, uh, yeah, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So one of the things that God isn't blessing is Christians who isolate themselves, people who who, people who isolate themselves from the people of God's ability to influence. Now, what does a healthy example look like? Healthy example looks like one who interacts with others, one who healthily interacts with others. Ephesians 1.15. Ephesians 1.15. Let me turn there real quick. Ephesians 1.15. He says something beautiful in that passage. Ephesians 1.15, he says, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, uh, he said, I do not cease to give thanks for you. In other, words, in other words, they interacted with others, their love towards the saints. There's a balance, though. There's a balance, though. The Bible says, a man of many friends comes to ruin. <laughs> There's a balance, because some people, we call everybody our friend. You know what I'm saying? We got MySpace pages, and we just uploading people up on it. My friends. But, you know, MySpace is a real comfortable place to develop relationships because nobody sees and smells your breath while you're typing, you know what I'm saying, when you just woke up. They also don't know what you did before you turned the computer on. They also aren't able to check you on your blog statement, what's behind your blog statements. See, we got to be careful of allowing our friends to only be on a computer and not in the family of God. So what's really, really important is like, we, we, we're not just calling everybody our friend, but Jesus Christ is talking about the main people that are supposed to have friendships are people. And it's not talking about building relationship with unbelievers for the purpose of the gospel. We're talking about in context, he's talking about the relationships that Christians have with Christians. Now, the question is, is everybody your friend or do you have a select group of people that you make yourself available to, real practical stuff, that you make yourself available to where they're able to speak into your life and you're able to speak into their life? Or are you just a random sharer where everybody just knows your business and there is no accountability and there is no bringing things to a head to make sure that there are checks and balances in our lives for the purpose of us being being fruit bearers. Let's move forward. I don't know what I did there. God answers prayer. Making disciples in community. Again, healthy example, giving your life to someone else in community. I like 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 8. It says, not only did we give you the word of God, but we also gave you our very lives. Next. Look to meet others' needs, unhealthy, all take and no give. All take and no give. Healthy example, both give and take. Both give and take. Balance, unwise giving. Hood rich folk. You know, folk that, you know, give and they don't really give, that don't have the money to give. 
That's why it's real funny. People ask you to pay through a credit card and all of that. And, you know, some of us get in debt trying to help others out. That's not biblical helping. You're hurting because then you're going to need somebody to turn around and be community to help you out of debt. So we're not talking about unrealistic giving of just giving frivolously. But biblical giving sacrificially, though, that's based on what you have, not on what you don't have. Organized outlets. What are some organized outlets? Somebody say, well, all of that's good. What are like some organized outlets that Epiphany have? And what are some organic outlets? I'm going to give you a few suggestions, then I'm going to sit down and get out your way. Can I do this? All right. Organized outlets. Man to man. 3130. Covenant community. Uh, serving in a, in a particular ministry area. Um, cipher groups coming soon. Pretty soon, we're going to be going to regional community groups. We've talked about that already. And Based on the region that you're in, whether you're in West Philly, South Jersey, or wherever, there's going to be uh, weekly meetings where through that you're going to do, we're going to do these things together. You're going to proclaim the gospel together. You're going to make disciples together. You're going to usher people from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. You're going to follow people up together. You're going to love on that community together. You're going to take care of one another's needs together. You're going to pray for one another. You're going to go to one another's events. In other words, do that together, but not as an ingrown toenail, but as a ministry to the community of faith and the kingdom of God. Organic outlets. Show yourself friendly, man. Like some of y'all say, back on the organized outlets, like if you don't utilize those outlets that we have, then it's going to be difficult to say that we, but now we got some organic ways. Show yourself friendly. Now I'm 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 going to lay that out in a minute. Available. Answer your phone. Answer your text messages. Call folk back. That is real simple stuff to, to, to develop community. I'm, I'm embarrassed that I got to just say that. But, like, call people back. Be available to the community of faith. Be available to people around you. Not only that, not dipping right after gatherings. Now, some of us, we, 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 we waiting. Amen. And we, we gone. Like, and somebody, nobody's caring. No. Stay and talk to somebody. We know that we have natural extroverts and natural introverts. But, like, stay just for a little while. Hook up with somebody and say, let's go to lunch together. Somebody you don't know that you see coming regularly. Hook up with them. I mean, this is real simple stuff, y'all. Now, what is Jesus doing as we close? A note, a, clo- a, a closing note. <coughs> this is important. Abide in Christ. Bear fruit. I don't know. Okay, there we go. And rep the reign of God. It goes from the inside out. It doesn't. So you can't just do works of ministry and not abide. It starts with abiding and then works its way out. But then, but then, abide in Christ's love, bear fruit based on abiding in Christ's love, love other disciples. This is real simple. (laughs) Love other disciples. And then we'll talk about the next group of people that we're called to love. This is what John 15 is about. The key, the key here is from the inside out. The reason why we abide is so that we can glorify God through bearing much fruit. When we bear much fruit based on verse 8, then what happens is we have something to give to other disciples. 
if we don't, if we try to get in loving one another and we're on an empty tank, we're going to be a leech. So therefore, you got to go and you got to, that's when you, that's when you're spending time with God is important. That's when you're spending time in prayer is important. That's when your time in the scriptures is important. That's when applying the, uh, the uh, messages are important. That's when during the day your devotion turns into praying without ceasing and applying the words, hiding the word in your heart that you might not sin against them, bearing fruit of that, showing the fact that you're a disciple, and then having something to mutually give when you get in the saints. From the inside out. That's really important. This is an inside out thing, not an outside in thing. And we're going to have some classes soon that's going to teach you how to pray and teach you how to spend time with God so that you don't, none of us have any excuses of why we can't be abiding in prayer and why we can't be spending time with God and applying it during the course of the day. Y'all not with a brother today. So, so close the note. There can be no community without commitment. In Acts chapter 42, I mean, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, before it said that they were in community together and they shared all things in common, and that they were breaking bread, going to house to house and having fellowship. Know what it said? What's the first thing? Say that again. What's verse 42 say? And they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Commitment. You can't properly bring the right stuff to the table to relate to one another if we're not living out the law of Christ. Real simple message. But something we all, every one of us from the pulpit down, need to heavily apply. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. And I'm excited about the opportunity for us together as a body, um, as a body, all of us, not one person, not this group and not that group, this family or that individual, but all of us have to amp up our game in this area. And so, Lord God, may we be encouraged. May we be encouraged in Christ's name that um, that that we would properly sense what it means to be in covenant relationship with you, the Lord Jesus, who in being covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus automatically means that we're in covenant relationship with the Father. And then it automatically puts us in covenant relationship to one another. So, Lord God, help us to be kingdomly committed. And, Lord God, help us to bear biblical fruit so that we can live out the nutrition of the faith. May your kingdom be seen. May our prayers be answered as a community of faith because we, are, we, are, we understand our purpose based on your vision and your dream. And not only that, that we're proclaiming the gospel with both life and lips and we're ushering people from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. May this be our passion and may we walk in the reality of this call and may the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit wreck our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.